Let's just say I put him in a hole and threw away the hole. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screens. So we want to make sure that we talk all about it. Yep, so thanks for joining us today. And let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. So, Tim, how has your week been going? Well, first of all, I want to give a little shout out to a new podcast. It's called Gin and Comics. These are guys that are actually listeners of the show, and they want to start up their own podcast. And they had actually reached out to us. His name is Ray, actually. And and, you know, he said, hey, you know, would you mind giving us a listen and all that and and maybe giving some advice about some some of the uh, questions they had about their podcast. And so I reached out to Ray and I said, hey, man, I can give you probably about 15, 20 minutes. Why don't we chat? Do what we can to try to help you out. Uh, ended up being about 40 minutes. So Ray was a pretty cool guy. So anyway, if you guys want to listen to something new, it's four guys that get together and they basically talk about gin and comics. Although I have to say very little gin talk. <laughs> yeah, I know. Actually, in their first episode, one of the guys is drinking a beer because they yeah. actually give a shout out to Frank and Tim from Beer with Geeks. So- was like, dude, stick with your format. <laughs> but no, I've actually listened to all three of their episodes. They dropped all three episodes at one time. They have a two-part BVS review, and then they also have a trailer discussion for Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Nice. So cool. N- nice little, you know, nice, broad geek talk kind of uh, cast. But with four guys talking, uh, you do get a wide variety of opinions, which is really nice. Yep. And I didn't really catch where they're from. I think it's somewhere in the Southwest. At any rate, four guys all get together. So uh, give them a listen. I think they're on iTunes, Gin and Comics. They are on iTunes. Yeah, that's where I listen to them. And then um, I actually was talking to some other podcasters. Now, they're not new. They've actually been around for a while now. But I was talking to Rebecca Johnson at Derby Kid on Twitter. And I, you know, some of our listeners, I think, follow her and they were retweeting some of her stuff. And I just thought she had some cool things to say. So I started following her. And then last Sunday, we just got into this really sort of back and forth Twitter conversation. And I eventually just asked, like, do you have like a YouTube channel or a podcast or something? Because you seem like someone who has things to say. And she was like, yeah, Supergirl Radio. It's my podcast. You should check it out. And I did. And I like it. I felt a little guilty. I felt like I was cheating on Frank and Tim from <laughs> Supergirl TV yeah, Talk. how dare you? I, well, you know, I can still listen to both. It's not. It's nice. They have different flavors because, you know, Frank and Tim are two dudes talking about Supergirl. And then Rebecca um, gets together with Carly and Morgan. And then it's three ladies talking about okay. uh, Supergirl. And they also review every issue of the Sterling Gates digital comic that's tied in with the universe. And so it's it's nice. And they actually just dropped today on Friday like a two-hour season one look back retrospective nice. episode. Okay. So I haven't listened to that yet. But definitely go check them out. Support them. Once again, I like having I like having more ladies on the internet geeking out and talking podcast. Definitely. I'll definitely go check them out. I just love it. We're just creating this great podcast community. Like, you know, with the, between Ray and the other guys from Jen and Comics, Rebecca and her girls at Supergirl Radio, Frank and Tim and Sam over at Justice League Universe, and then uh, Dave and Jason over at DC on screen. It's just like, we, we've kind of created our own little community here, and I love it. Definitely cool. So, yeah, I'll have to check them out. But hey, we have to get onto the news, Scott, because guess Breaking what? Breaking news. Breaking news. Now, Seth Graham Smith, the director for the cinematic The Flash, is apparently leaving the film over creative differences. Apparently, what's happening is, you know, he had written a script based on a treatment by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Those are the directors who actually wrote and directed the Lego movie. And apparently his script is still going to be in play, but he's no longer going to be a director. But the, another thing is that apparently it's not something so serious that he hasn't left the studio. He's still right. He's still involved with like the Lego Batman movies. And apparently he's also developing like a Beetlejuice 2, mm-hmm. according to this story from The Hollywood Reporter, written by Boris Kitt. Uh, they had the exclusive right. uh, today when the news broke. So he's leaving the project, but apparently he's not ticked off enough to vacate the studio. So yeah. that makes me sound like it's not terribly serious. Yeah. Okay. So I need to be honest here. Now, okay. I was always hopeful about Seth Graham Smith, but I knew nothing about him. I wasn't overly impressed with the stuff that I saw, at least that was brought cinematically to the big screen. I wasn't either. I Like, I, like we discussed before, I loved his books. Yeah. But the movies, 
not impressed. Yeah, not impressed. And it's not like he was directing those, but that but no. that was really the biggest thing that kind of bugged me about this because, you know, this is a big, big property for DC. And it was also one that's just getting tons of traction here, basically through the TV version. And this was going to be a first time director. And, uh, and I don't know how Warner Brothers would normally kind of treat this, you know, maybe with their, you know, somebody that they're kind of nursing along as a, a, as a director. Maybe there's a lot more involvement from other assistant directors or something. I'm not really sure what they do, but it always kind of made me feel a little bit uh, nervous about it, to be honest with you. And so the way I look at this, and we've had a bunch of listeners tweet us right before, you know, we jumped on the show here asking us about it. I would just say I look at this as maybe not so surprising given given maybe some of the sensitivity that we might have with the universe going forward here. I am not so surprised that there might be a change happening here. Now, whether it's from Seth Graham Smith's doing, if he's particularly the one that decided that this was no longer a good fit for him, or is if this is just a polite way of the studio allowing somebody to kind of move on because, you know, they feel like they need to make a change. I look at this as a positive, quite honestly, because I, I feel like if we can get a more seasoned director to come in here and do this, I think I would actually feel a little bit better about it. Well, in the in another thing is that, you know, please avoid the clickbait articles that are already spelling the doom and gloom of, oh, right. you know, it, it, everyone has made this like, oh, no, look at Warner Brothers is in trouble. No, Michelle McLarkin uh, left Wonder yeah. Woman and then they got Patty Jenkins like two weeks later. You know, I, I forgot who the name of the guy was who left Aquaman and then they have James Wan. I mean, literally Warner Brothers has been able, like, it's almost like every time they get their first director, the director leaves and then two weeks later, they already have another one in play. Mm-hmm. And Patty Jenkins was, you know, the one who left Thor The Dark World right. over creative differences and everything that I've seen looks like they're having a ball over on Wonder Woman. So yeah. it's not like you lose your first one. It's not as if the world's going to end. Right. And I kind of look at this, you know, given the uphill battle that it seems Warner Brothers has with the DC properties, given like with what happened with Batman v Superman, definitely very much hammered by the critics and very lopsided in terms of the negativity that kind of went towards it. I, I think Warner Brothers is being a lot more careful now. So I am honestly, I'm not the least bit surprised that there's a, the so-called creative differences here. Yeah. And I'm also not concerned either. Like I said, it's a first time yeah. director. I mean, yeah, can a first time director impress? Yes. I mean, Tim Miller did it with Deadpool. I mean, it, but that was also a movie that had practically no budget. Mm-hmm. Flash is going to have a budget. And not only that, there's a gigantic amount of CGI that has to go along with this. There's just so many more dynamics that this director is going to have to deal with. And then on top of it, let's be honest, there's a huge, huge contingent of people that really, really like what is happening with the TV Flash right now. And no matter what, they're going to probably not be so happy about the cinematic version. Right. They're, they are already inclined to dislike it right. before they've even seen anything. Right. So, I mean, it, it's going to be, it's an uphill battle to begin with. Right. And you don't need a first time director dealing with an uphill battle where, I mean, literally, I think Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the novel, w- was his first book. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, so the man's only been kind of in the public eye for less than five years. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember when Pride and Prejudice and Zombies came out, the novel. And then they then he wrote Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Then he, he wrote the movie, which was terrible. The movie was bad. Mm-hmm. The Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the movie didn't look good. I haven't seen it. Yeah, like, me neither. So, so while his books were good, nothing cinematic that he was involved with seemed to be working out all that well. So mm-hmm. I'm not heartbroken that he's left the flash. Yeah. Yeah. So the show's position on this is like, this doesn't make us the least bit nervous. We see this as a net positive for sure. So, yeah. Okay. Well, you're talking about the critics. And so let's move on to Batman v Superman. Uh, good news, bad news, depending on your perspective. I tend to be a half glass full kind of person. You tend to be a half glass empty kind of person. <laughs> but the movie as of recording now, according to numbers from boxofficemojo.com, has exceeded $855 million worldwide. Mm -hmm. I know that you are a little bit more Debbie Downer about it because you believe, and I do too, Mm -hmm. that this movie should have made more money and that the critical reception uh, sabotaged the ticket sales of this film. Mm -hmm. However, I still, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, $855 million is not something to sneeze at and I don't know I just I can't be that horribly disheartened by it Mm -hmm. but I understand your position yeah I mean it's still it's a huge amount of money but there was very big expectations not just from the studios but the investors and the producers and the fans of this film and uh, and I can't remember who I was talking to on Twitter but basically I think this film easily lost about 25% of its 
ticket sales just basically due to the the highly negative reviews and that's a fact so that that is money that is lost by the studio you know this this film should have easily cleared a billion dollars it just should have in the fact that it didn't is it's the film's not a disappointment I very much enjoyed the film I think it's a very good film almost great you know as I've said before I just had a few issues with it but it certainly wasn't something that would have caused me to call the film in a negative manner at all but this is not even in my view it's probably not even going to make 900 million no well especially with Civil War coming out next weekend Mm -hmm. I mean once Civil War comes out you know BVS won't disappear from theaters but you know it's going to get shoved to those small screens in the back of the theater and you know there'll be a few loyal people are still going but Mm -hmm. you know it's going to lose its box office majority even though you did see see that were you saying that worldwide it's still been making like a million a day for the past four days yeah yeah but that is going to trail off this upcoming week. that's going to trail off i mean it is and already everything i've heard from people whose opinions i respect is that civil war you know is a enjoyable film and it is a it is a good film it's a good marvel movie so that's all the spotlight and of course then all the clickbait is going to start about comparing the two films so oh, it's already began i it's already begun you know it just don't click on it don't look at it <laughs> just ignore it that's the only thing you can do is ignore yeah. it i know that's hard to say but you know we kind of had this conversation i'm gonna go see civil war i know i'm on a dc podcast but i'm gonna go see it mm-hmm. but i'm not gonna try to compare it i want yeah. to be able to just watch each movie for what it is <sighs> all that to say it's not gonna make 900 million worldwide unfortunately but it's gonna come dang close it's gonna come close yeah so i, I just want to be clear i mean you know i i don't mean this to sound like negative there's so much negativity out there about dc anyway it, you know we're just trying to be very realistic here this movie should have made more and it's not the fault of the filmmakers necessarily it's largely a fault of for whatever reasons they got such huge negative reviews on this film and definitely lopsided but this is something that warner brothers and you know the filmmakers going forward have to really take very seriously here and figure out okay what exactly is it that they can maybe do to just kind of try to turn the tide a little bit you know back in favor towards warner brothers because it's just a it's it's almost like a sporting event now just anything with dc it's it's sport to just kind of gang up on dc i mean that's the reality of it and as we said before there's not a conspiracy against dc but there's definitely there's definitely a lot of piling on yeah now speaking about you know possibility i know i had a sort of conversation with one of our uh listeners about you know the ultimate cut Mm -hmm. you know it's coming out it's coming out soon i hope Mm -hmm. and we were kind of speculating when it was going to come out and you know there was questions about you know would the film have done better if that uh if that cut had been released because we've gotten some details Mm -hmm. and just to confirm according to the swedish online retailer who supposedly has you know at least a european version of the blu-ray specs the extended version is clocking in at 181 minutes which for those of you who might be mathematically challenged that's three hours and one minute (laughs) and it's r-rated and then apparently the theatrical version is going to have two hours of bonus features right uh dang i'm gonna be busy well and it's 181 minutes oh i can't wait i'm excited Uh, the question was you know we've always talked about how we never thought maybe releasing the ultimate cut originally would have been a good idea because it would cut out how many times a theater could have shown the film Mm -hmm. and then but someone asked well but what if it had been more better critically received right and so you would have gotten more ticket sales even though you can't show it as many times without it all evened out i honestly think this film I'd feel like even with the 30 extra minutes, I still don't feel like the critics who hated this movie were going to have any other opinion about it, mm-hmm. even if the 30 minutes was still in it. Yeah, and definitely critics are do not like very long movies, <laughs> so that wouldn't have helped. No. Now, one thing I will say about this now, there's been you know word that the original three-hour cut of this film that had been screened by the studio had very favorable response in that the response for the film when it was cut down to around two and a half had actually gone down noticeably. And so what we're going to find out, and none of us really know until we actually see it was will this feel like a much more complete film and will we have some of the critics who had looked at this film negatively if they give this three hour film a chance will they change their view on it so that'll be real interesting to kind of watch here but what'd you hear that I hadn't heard that before it was uh, it was actually uh, it was actually I think Umberto Gonzalez has been saying that this film when it was a three hour cut was reviewed pretty positively when it was screened yeah okay interesting yeah so we'll see we'll have to just all sit back I mean we'll know a lot more here but now the other question 
question was, is this going to come out before Suicide Squad or afterwards? I think it needs to come out before. Well, I, I think it would make sense for it to come out before. I think that would be the smart play. But I, if this is overthought by the studio, could you see a scenario where they maybe would sit there and think, well, we don't want to bring up attention to a movie that was very negatively reviewed right before Suicide Squad? Do you want to bring that to the forefront? And I could see cynical decision being made that maybe we'll drop this thing after Suicide Squad. But to me, I think that would just be a terrible decision. I think it would be a terrible decision because it's it's obvious that Suicide Squad is taking place post-BVS. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you want to commit to the shared cinematic universe, you know, the logic is you release the previous movie before the new one comes out mm-hmm. so that true fans like us can watch the film and then lead into Suicide Squad right. if you want to treat it as an ongoing saga of the DC Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I agree 100%. So I hope the right thing is done and it's actually released before Suicide Squad. But that actually is not that far away. I mean, we're less than 100 days away from Suicide Squad. I know. Yeah, if you kind of think about it, this thing will be out of the theaters probably within two to three weeks is my guess. I would I would hope so. Now, Umberto was saying that apparently the rumors is going to be released on his birthday. And my question is, Umberto, what is your birthday? <laughs> so I know when I need to be making a trip to the store. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what his birthday is either. But I don't know. We had heard previously that it was going to be around July 15th or so. But we'll see. We'll let you know if we hear anything definitive on it. Now, apparently, Warner Brothers Instagram was getting a little cheeky. <laughs> and, I, you know, Tim and I had to sit here before we started recording trying to figure out what's the what's the deal here? What's the connection? Mm-hmm. And so this, Wednesday, this past Wednesday, April 27th, the Batman v Superman Instagram account dropped a photo of Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne looking in the display case with the damaged spray painted Robin suit underneath it with the quote 20 years in Gotham how many good guys are left hashtag Batman v Superman and so the question was is this a major hint about the identity of Robin and then Tim you did a little digging and you found this image of a death certificate from the comics specifically from Batman annual number 25 that lists Jason Todd's date of death as April 27th 1986 coincidence yeah I mean that's very interesting there so now I can't take credit for this this was actually somebody had posted this on Reddit that they had made the connection between the two and this legitimately happened this was in the Batman annual number 25 from 2006 it was actually the Red Hood storyline and in it was referenced this death certificate for Jason Todd and it's had the exact same day of the year so uh, the question is is this pure coincidence and uh, I think this is a little bit too on the nose to be a coincidence, quite honestly. No, this was planned, I think. It feels like it. It definitely feels like it. And I think we all have to say that when you talk about a Robin suit in a display case, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has to be Jason Todd. Yeah. It just it just has to be. Yeah. It would make no sense to, to make it any other Robin. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, that would basically take away Nightwing, and it also take away the one Robin that people do know, you know, in the general audience. Right. So anyway, I just, that, that is a lot of fun. I think, I, I think that's very clever by the folks over at Warner Brothers. <laughs> Give them a lot of credit. I think that's really cool. Well, see, and th- this is something I wish Warner Brothers got more credit for. Mm-hmm. That is, that that's that's deep. Yeah. That's that that's deep. That's cute. That's an Easter egg. Why doesn't Warner Brothers get credit for doing cool things like that where it's a total wink to the, to the, to the fandom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, grr, grr is what I'm going to say to that. Yeah, well, we give them credit, so I, that's all that really matters, right? <laughs> Swear to me. Yeah. <laughs> One last thing on Batman v Superman before we kind of move on to some Suicide Squad news here. Now, the LexCorp website has actually been updated. Now, nothing really major on it, but if you go to LexCorp.io, you've actually got some more information that was actually added to the website itself. And this has actually just occurred very recently here. So I find it's very odd that they're continuing to update the website when it's this kind of far off uh, since the release of the movie. So it kind of makes me wonder, is this something that's going to be going on for a while? You know, and is this a thread that will connect to who knows, maybe even Suicide Squad, maybe to Justice League. I don't know. I was I was very disappointed in, well, at least I don't know what their grand plan is, but I was very disappointed in the viral marketing. I I was ready for there to be all kinds of cool stuff to do. Yeah, yeah, me but, too. But, you know, the, the two articles they did that we discussed on the show, the website promised stuff that it delivered, but delivered significantly later than what we thought it was going to deliver. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, did they drop the ball? Did they change their mind? Or, like you said, I didn't think about this, but is this just an ongoing, an ongoing concern that's going to just keep on adapting as we move on through the cinematic universe? You mean an ongoing?
ongoing, you said ongoing concern. A concern as in something that they're going to be paying attention to. Oh, sure. Yeah. So like this is, this will be a thread that just continues all along. Right. I'm wondering if that's the case. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll just have to keep an eye on it. But yeah, I mean, recent new content I found interesting, but no reference to the events in Batman v Superman. Uh, no, like the Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I think that Instagram actually, we kind of found out later. Apparently it, it was, uh, I think it was a fan service thing. So I don't think it okay. was actually tied to anything official. I'll, I'll take fan service. <laughs> I got no problem with that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of fan service, Suicide Squad, we got ourselves an art book or a companion book or something. Yeah, something's coming. coming. Something's coming because there's not even a cover for it yet on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a visual companion book, probably very similar to the art of Batman v Superman book that Tim and I have adorning our coffee tables. Right. <laughs> called uh, Behind the Scenes with the Worst Heroes Ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the author is credited as being Warner Brothers Studios. It retails for $45, but of course at Amazon, you can lock in a cheaper price and with a pre-order guarantee that if it gets even lower, you save that money. Yeah. And it's apparently being released on August 9th, which would make it, if I'm not mistaken, that makes That's it four days after. Four days after the movie? Yeah. Okay. Which would be cool because I, now the Batman v Superman actually came out before the film. Right. And then you told me not to open yeah. it. I, yeah. When I got that book, I, I scanned a couple pages and as soon as I saw two images that told me that it was something that I had no idea was going to be a new film, that's where I closed it. And I said, Scott, don't open it. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I still haven't opened it to this day. I, I need to finally crack that sucker open. But yeah. It's, that's a great book, by the way. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, I pre-ordered it. Scott, you pre-ordered it. And uh, I think the Amazon price right now is like $33. So looking forward to it. If it's going to be like a behind the scenes kind of thing, I think that'll be a lot of fun actually seeing that. Because I mean, we've of course seen behind the scenes things from, uh, you know, the set images and all that. But I'd love to see some official photographs here from, you know, probably Clay Enos or whoever else they may have had on the set. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of Clay Enos. Yes. We get a new photo from the LA Times. Talk to us about that, Tim. All right. So, I mean, it's it's an image here and it looks like it's an actual set image and it looks like an image from the film itself and it actually shows Harley Quinn walking along holding her bat and she's got the little pistol and a little holster on her left shoulder and then you also have Deadshot there and they're looking at each other and there's definitely a little bit of a flirtatious little smile going back and forth between those two. Now, this makes me think of the assault on Arkham and it also makes me think of what's going on and basically in the comics right now between the two. So it, it looks like they're implying that there's like a little bit of flirtation going on here. So what do you think of that, Scott? Well, I want to save some thoughts for when we talk about a Margot Robbie interview that we've got later on. I think that will tie directly into your thoughts because with the New 52 run and in, in Suicide Squad, yeah, I want to save my thoughts for the... Actually, you know what? Can we just jump to that interview right yeah, now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so Margot Robbie talked about how she did some research. Now, this is an interview that was from Coming Soon, and this was at that CinemaCon red carpet yeah. event. She said she did a lot of research into mental illness and codependency, and she was trying to understand Harley Quinn's connection with the Joker, her reliance on the Joker, why she'd be attracted to the Joker, and just the idea that in her research, she realized that codependency works more like an addiction Mm -hmm. than a mental illness. So it's actually like a need that you have, that you must have someone else. And I feel like that when we're talking about sort of the flirty look she's giving Deadshot, and then we talk about Asaron Arkham and in the comics, it's just the idea that Deadshot kind of becomes like the top dog and she immediately gravitates or clings to that, especially in a situation where the Joker's not around. Mm -hmm. For one reason or another, she's not with the Joker. And so if she truly has a codependency issue somewhere in her psyche that she's going, it's going to manifest itself with someone else who has a very strong personality. And apparently that's Deadshot. Mm -hmm. So I find that, I find that very interesting. Uh, What else did you, what else did you pick out of this, uh, this particular interview? Well, I mean, really the only other thing that came out of this article that I, I kind of found interesting and she was talking about the character of Harley Quinn and she said, you know, really whether she's trying to do something good or she's just being her bad self, she's just 
just going to have fun no matter what she does, <laughs> whether she's being good or bad. And she said that really, she's just not a likable character. Oh, okay. Now, we actually had something else. Now, Joel Kinnaman was actually on The Talk. It's a little talk show. I've actually never seen it, but I did watch the the clip uh, of him actually on there. And Joel Kinnaman, of course, uh, playing Rick Flagg, had revealed that he actually got a tattoo from Will Smith on his left bicep. And there was a nice little picture of it. And it was just the word squad. And he actually said it was Will Smith that was the one doing it. And then that's what it showed in this picture. And so they said, well, what was like, you know, getting this tattoo from Will Smith? And Joel said, you know, he was terrible at it. <laughs> he said it was like, it was like watching a drunk baby trying to fly a helicopter. <laughs> that might be one of my favorite phrases I've heard in a long time. Yeah, this is so weird because on the talk, because I mean, I, you know, the only experience I've had with the talk is the in-universe segment that they did with Cat Grant on Supergirl. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Right. Because it's like the CBS version of The View. Right, right. With Aisha Tyler and Sharon uh-huh. Osbourne. And right. I don't know who else. Those are the only two hosts that I actually know who they are. Yeah, right. That's weird. And of course, then he also talks about uh, how he almost always gives away the end of the movie yeah. in these interviews. <laughs> and and he's always having to catch himself. And apparently, like the rest of the cast is apparently always looking at him going, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm just like, is he that excited about? Yeah. It's because it, it seems like he's just super jazzed about like what the climax of the movie is that he just automatically wants to jump to talk about it until mm-hmm. he realizes, oh, wait a minute, there's a non-disclosure agreement that I signed <laughs> that says don't. Yeah, that was that's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, it, was, it was actually kind of fun to listen to. He seems like a pretty fun, interesting guy. The one last bit of bit that I got out of this that I didn't know about. So all the different cast members got tattoos, but apparently the one person who did not get a tattoo was Will Smith. <laughs> so he was happy giving people tattoos, but apparently, you know, he didn't get the tattoo himself. And I, I think we had heard at the time that basically his wife had put the kibosh on that. Yes, I remember we reported that like yeah. months ago that right. his wife's like, no, honey, no. <laughs> Jada was not having any of that. Yeah. So apparently still true. Why don't you tell us about Karen Fukuhara? This is, I'm I'm, I'm kind of giddy about this interview because <laughs> yeah. she was talking about Katana and the Soul Taker sword. Yeah. And, you know, we, she first she started off with things we've already heard. She's loyal to, you know, her being Katana. She's loyal to Amanda Waller and Rick Flagg. She's there to keep the squad in line. You know, we've reported before that she's kind of Rick Flagg's personal bodyguard mm-hmm. so that just to make sure the squad doesn't, you know, hurt him. However, she did reveal that she will be talking to her dead husband, Masio, throughout the movie since if you know your comics, his soul is in is in the sword. Mm-hmm. And, she, it, and it's established in comics that she converses with his soul through the sword. And the fact that David Ayer has actually written that into the movie, uh, yay! I mean, just, who knows that kind of stuff? Well, it's just more, not, and this is even actually goes beyond fan service here. This is actually like really trying to take a real important aspect of this character and just completely embrace it. Because you could have very easily, you know, somebody like a David Ayer, who's all of his movies have been very grounded in reality. You could have actually seen him say, okay, nobody's going to talk to a sword <laughs> in a film. But he's just like, nope, yeah, this is who she is. She talks to her dead husband in a sword. So I love that. And you know what? I was not particularly thrilled with the depiction of this character on Arrow season three. Neither was I. Neither was I. So the fact that we are getting a much more comic faithful version mm-hmm. of her in the films, yippee ki yeah. I mean, that's all I got to say. Yeah, she looks great. I, I I cannot wait to see like all the different things that they act out with this character. Now, she actually apparently had taken on to doing a lot of her own stunts in this film. And she uh, did have one stunt double because there was, I guess there was one dive role that she was not able to do and the stunt double did it for her. But yeah, she got to do all kinds of different sword work, which will be fun to see. It, well, it always makes a difference when the actor does their own stunts. Right. Because I'm sorry, I can tell when the stunt double gets put in. Yeah, I, I really I really can. Especially on like, say, Arrow. We just mentioned Arrow. <laughs> it's like painfully obvious when you see it on Arrow. Oh, uh, you know who it's really painfully obvious on is when they do it with John Barrowman. You can always oh, tell. Yeah. You can yeah, always tell John Barrowman's <laughs> stunt double. Yeah. Uh, which I hate because I love John Barrowman, but mm-hmm. his stunt double never looks anything like him. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that, but that's the kind of thing that bugs me. It That pulls me out. So when Stephen Amell does m- a lot of his own stunts, mm-hmm. that's wonderful because it sells it. Yeah. So the fact that uh, Karen Fujihara does all but like one of her stunts, great. Then there's never an opportunity for me to get, you know, pulled out of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of getting pulled out of the film or maybe getting drawn into it. Now, apparently Karen had never met Jared 
Leto on set. She says she's never met him. To, and I mean, to this day, she's never met him. Yeah. So this kind of goes back to a theme we've heard before. There were people that said, you know, I've never met Jared Leto, even though they had scenes with him. They said, I don't know who Jared Leto is because all they knew was Joker. And she did the same thing. She says, you know, she's seen him on set and apparently she went up to try to introduce herself and he was just dead on in character. And uh, he just kind of came back with a laugh and he said, ha ha ha, hi, pretty. However he says it, uh, you know, who knows what he would have. I think it sounded like, I think it sounded like this. Ha ha ha, hi, pretty. <laughs> could be, could be. And she was trying to be like, hey, I'm Karen. And he was just like stayed in character. But she just went on, of course, like everybody else was just raving about him. She learned so much from watching him doing his method acting. And she says, you know, I think I need to try that someday. But she said it actually kind of freaked her out a little bit. And she's a little scared to kind of get that deep into it. So I think you're a smart woman, Karen. I don't think you want to get that deep. <laughs> now, apparently, after all the other CinemaCon interviews that we got talking about how almost all these cast members had interactions with Batfleck, mm-hmm. apparently Katana is not one of them. Right. Karen is saying that she did not ever meet Affleck on set and she did not get a scene with him mm-hmm. and that she's herself excited to see how BVS plays into Suicide Squad. Right. So I'm just like, okay, but we're still getting ready for some outsider action later, right? I mean, right. this is just because she hasn't had a scene yet doesn't mean something's not going to happen later. Yeah. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. The Outsiders. Really? You? Yeah. You didn't even think about that? Yeah, for some reason. Well, I mean, I think of all the other characters and for some reason I never put Batman with Katana in The Outsiders in Suicide Squad. You know, I'm just waiting for Metamorpho to show up and then, you know, <laughs> like I'm going to have a party. Yeah. Which, by the way, wouldn't that be an awesome character arc to have in, a, in, in some movie? Like not the primary plot of a uh-huh. movie, but maybe like in a future Suicide Squad or something like mm-hmm. Metamorpho would be a good character to introduce. Sorry, that was random tangent, no, but I, I just thought about that. No, I definitely like that because we've already established Simon Stagg, right? Well, we established him at least in through the, the viral marketing. Yeah, they they did Stagg Industries. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I like the idea of that, but I got to be honest with you, I've never been a big fan of Metamorpho's like look, his costume. It always kind of threw me off that he was divided right down the middle with the orange and the purple. And so I, I think if they did a variation of that, it'd be fine. Just kind of keep the heart of the intent of the colors and all that, but just really kind of work on the look of him a little bit. Did you ever watch Beware the Batman? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, because they did a great job with him on yeah, that. Yeah, yes, they did. Yes, that was a, see, that's what I'm looking for, something like that. Yes. Okay, now you apparently have bought something that I haven't bought and that just cannot stand, sir. <laughs> so why don't you tell the audience about what more money you're spending? Well, for once, I actually bought something that Scott has not bought, which is something from Trends International. Now, Suicide Squad is putting out a calendar and it's going to come out right around the time of the movie and this actually comes out July 15th and this is going to be a 16th month calendar. And so you'll basically get the rest of 2016 and then all of 2017. So it's basically a Suicide Squad calendar, probably shots from the film, but it's uh, basically a foot by a foot in size. And, uh, you know, I don't do too many calendars, but I'm getting a new office at work. And so I figure, you know what, I need to put something up. So as soon as I get this thing in, I'm going to go ahead and hang that up in my office. Oh, sweet. See, I'm still I'm still living off of my DC bombshells calendars. So okay. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on this yet. It's one of those that like I'm going to need to see what the images are on the inside to mm. see if it's, you know, if it's worth it for me or not. Yeah, I mean, uh, believe me, I'm not expecting this to be anything like what we're going to see in that book that we talked about a little bit earlier. But, you know, it was just something like, you know what, I do want a calendar. So now, interesting enough, Margot Robbie got interviewed by uh, The New York Times uh, by I'm I'm going to butcher this guy's name. But is it Day, uh, Dave it's Inskoff? In- Inskoff? It's Cough. OK, well, he had an interview about Robbie and her career and they talked Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. obviously. Right. And so she, uh, David, it started off with like a David Ayer's comments about Robbie saying that she's a very analytical and serious person, mm-hmm. but she has to warm up to you and then she opens up. Like she's all business until she gets comfortable and then she kind of becomes herself, I guess right. is the way the air was putting it. What I found so interesting about this part was he actually didn't meet her in person. The first time he actually met her was over Skype. Yeah. So That's weird. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of cool. It, it's kind of, yeah, it, it, it seems so normal. I yeah. think that's the thing that gets me. It's like, this is what normal people would do. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have to, I, I, I have to laugh at uh, Margot Robbie's comments about her own costume. Yeah. Because her costume kind of set the internet on fire. Mm-hmm. Like, that takes much nowadays, but it did. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how Harley's wearing hot pants because they're sparkly and fun. Yeah. She's not wearing the hot pants so men can stare at her ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, she's trying to establish, 
the hot pants aren't for them. The hot pants are for her. Right. And, sure they are. But however, Margot Robbie <laughs> said, but as Margot didn't enjoy wearing them. Yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> Which I think, I love it. She's like, the character, the character loves them. Me, not so much. Yeah. Well, and she went on and said, look, you know, on the set, you know, she'd be eating burgers at lunchtime. And then she'd go on to do the scene where she's actually hosed down and soaking wet with this little white t-shirt. And she says, it's all clingy and you're all self-conscious about it. So I guess in kind of in the end, she's like, you know what, as her as a person, she's like, yeah, I'm not really liking this. <laughs> and she also indicated that in the sequel, no hot pants. Yeah. No, not, <laughs> no done, done. That, that was a that was a first movie deal. Yeah. Not again. Well, and of course, David Ayer came in to kind of basically defend it. He goes, look, Harley is not going to be wearing denim overalls <laughs> because that would not be appropriate for that character. This is part of the iconography of Harley Quinn. <laughs> and then and then Jai Courtney apparently also got mentioned in this interview talking yeah. about Margot Robbie, which, you know, I think it's fun because since they're both Australian, mm-hmm. you know, two Aussies hanging out. And he said, you might be fooled into thinking she's an easygoing person, but she is extremely serious. Mm-hmm. She pursues what she wants doggedly. And so anything she gets, Jai Courtney says she deserves it because she's worked for it. That's cool. And she's also, I love this and I want to quote this, but she's not also not resting on any laurels or gifts or physical attributes. Mm-hmm. Basically, she's like, I'm not just a pretty face. Yeah. I am. I work for this. No, I, I love so much that Jai Courtney actually said this kind of stuff because, I mean, let's face it, you know, she became mostly well known because of, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. She appeared nude in, in that film and she actually didn't want to do it at first. And then when, and she was actually offered by Scorsese to, you know, do that scene in underwear and a bathrobe. And she thought about it and she goes, you know what? That's not who that character is. And she decided basically for the sake of the film that that was the right thing to do. So, but, you know, so many people just basically say, well, that's why she's famous. And she's actually tremendously talented. And this is Jai Courtney basically, you know, seconding that and uh, saying, you know, she deserved everything that she got because she works hard for it. You know, I still have never seen her in a movie because oh. I have, I've never seen Wolf of Wall Street. I didn't see Focus. Okay. I, I'm kind of interested in Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't mess up this time. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Listen to our bloopers a few episodes ago. You will hear me having a hard time with that one. But I've actually never seen her in a movie. I think I'm going to go into Suicide Squad with this being my first experience with her on screen. Okay, cool. So you're not going to try to catch the other films before that? No, I actually think I'm going to go in sort of a, you know, a, a Margot Robbie virgin and just let Suicide Squad be my first experience, which I think I like because then she'll just be Harley Quinn to me. Right. Okay. Well, that's cool. So the problem is and then when you see these other films afterwards, you're just going to be thinking of Harley Quinn. I have no problem. Actually, that's the way the world should work. You okay. know. Well, let me just pre-warn you a little bit about Margot Robbie. Okay. She can actually be quite vexing. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you die. That's right. So we actually need to move on to this. We got a little bit of news about the Warner Brothers Studio Tour. They're actually going to be having a DC Universe exhibit, which is going to be featuring sneak peeks. Yeah, so basically on May 24th of this year, Warner Brothers is added a DC Entertainment exhibit, which will kind of go through the DC Universe. Now, kind of has a lot of things that you would anticipate here. I think we've seen the Batmobile in there, but apparently they're going to have the costumes from Batman v Superman as well. So you'll get up to close to, to Batman, to Superman, to Wonder Woman, that kind of thing. But they actually have some things in here where you can actually kind of mirror some of the images from Batman v Superman where like Lex Luthor, actually you can put your hands into these gloves into the case and get your hands on the kryptonite and probably get some pictures with that. So fun little things like that. But they have a little bit of Suicide Squad news here. Now that'll actually be part of the set as well. And you actually get to go into Harley Quinn's Bell Rev prison cell and it's lit dramatically and it's dressed with the barbed wire that we saw from the trailer and a chain link fencing and it's got the big iron bars and yellow caution tape to basically you know complete the effect <laughs> so you can actually get inside the cell and you can snap the perfect selfie as a prisoner within Bell Reeve Bell Rev Bell Rev so anyway yeah <laughs> we had the discussion by the way off off air Tim and I were just kind of discussing the sort of Bell Rev Bell Reeve other people worry about Rachel Ghoul versus Razal Ghoul we yeah. worry about Bell Reeve and Bell Rev right well see the thing is okay when I was a kid and I read Suicide Squad and the first time I had seen Bell Rev I in my head as a kid I read it as Bell Reeve and when I look at it phonetically here I'm like well it's not Bell Reeve it's Bell Rev <laughs> but it actually you're the one that pointed out in what Smallville, Smallville it actually pronounced it Bell Reeve right which always concerned 
me because that was the name of Blanche Dubois' property in Streetcar Named Desire. Right. But then ever since Young Justice, I've always heard it pronounced Bell Rev. Mm -hmm. So I'm going with Bell Rev because there's only one E. There's not there's no two E's. Do you think Smallville is just trying to be cute and throw the name Reeve out there? You know, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> right. Um, this would be a good question for Frank uh, from Beer with Geeks because he loves Smallville. Yeah. I'd love to be able to discuss that with him, what his thoughts are on that, because that'd be interesting. We need to do a crossover episode just about this. Just about this, yes. <laughs> um, however, I do appreciate the fact that this confirms that that cell is Bell Rev. Right. Uh, you know, there was always the question of is when we Arkham? were watching the trailers, yeah. is it Arkham? Is it Bell Rev? This confirms it's Bell Rev. Okay. Very good. Okay. Now, we've got a nice sort of uh, Will Smith interview coming from Coming Soon that is... Uh, written by uh, Silas Lesnick. Mm -hmm. uh, Will Smith was to kind of talk with the character, saying that, one, he's really excited because Deadshot's never been portrayed live action before. Mm -hmm. So he gets to kind of blaze ground, be the first round of Deadpool in cinematic history, and that along with being the first person ever to portray the character, they get to work with such a great ensemble. And that's kind of cool for him. Also, the fact that he, he was never big into comic books as a kid, even though he was in Men in Black, which is based Based on a comic book. By the way, if you didn't know that, it was a comic book from like the 80s. Yeah, from Air Cell. Yeah. And then he was in Hancock, which was a, you know, a, a, an original cinematic superhero, mm -hmm. but done in that comic book vein. Right. But apparently his older brother was into comic books and he wasn't allowed to touch them. <laughs> Basically, it was like, no, no will, not for you. Mm -hmm. And so he never really got to have that experience as a kid. But now he's saying that as he's been sort of delving into it as an adult, especially for some of these comic book movies he's been getting involved in. It's been fun being able to look at them with an adult perspective and be able to read like everything you need to read in like six to seven months straight instead of it being parceled out on sort of a serialized basis. He kind of likes that sort of, you know, what we would call trade waiting. He's, right. he's liked being able to like consume it all at one time. Mm -hmm. And he also went on to talk about David Ayer, how this is an interesting quote. He says it's how he thinks and how he moves and how he sees the the world. And that's what Will Smith's saying he gets from the creative partnership with David Ayer and his tone is just that you kind of, you get to see the way he sees things. Mm. And so that makes the movies that David Ayer makes um, a different breed. And he was saying that it's a different breed than your generic, gigantic tentpole movies. That this is not going to feel like one of those movies. Mm -hmm. Or if it's one of those movies, but it's going to be David Ayer's version of what a tentpole movie would be. Mm, okay. So that's really interesting. And then the and then he ended the interview talking about how David Ayer focuses on character. Mm -hmm. It's all about the details, about the character, and about playing with the characters, not so much about, you know, the plot or, you know, the big action pieces. Mm -hmm. It's who are these people and then how do their interactions drive the story. Yeah. I love David Ayer. He's my kind of director. This is exactly why I'm so excited about what he's going to be able to do with Suicide Squad characters. There's so many diverse personalities there and he's going to really just drill into that and get these to have a lot of really fun interactions between each of the villains. Now, Scott, moving on, we actually have a little bit of Wonder Woman stuff to kind of tease here. Now, there is an image that has been captured from a set visit here basically in Paris, France. And I actually didn't know that they were filming in Paris, France, but apparently they're doing one little quick scene here and Gal can be seen on the set and she's standing next to this black, it looks to me like a little bit of a a somewhat armored type vehicle and guess what's written on the side of the truck Wayne Enterprises it says Wayne Enterprises so. yeah, I totally just ruined it for you because I was like I've seen this picture too <laughs> so what's so interesting about it is like okay is this you know how long has Wayne Enterprises been around because we know that the setting of this film was actually supposed to be you know in the early 1900s around 1915 so this is definitely a very modern looking truck and so then the other question was is this actually being filmed in Gotham City is this like a quick scene you know that's kind of in modern times kind of like tying into Batman v Superman and uh, but uh, it's distinctly a very European looking truck and it's also got it's got a license plate on it that looks very Parisian so uh, I think this may actually be some kind of scene at some point in time where we're going to transition from the old early 1900 story to actually to modern day here well we've already talked about how the fact that it's reportedly that it that the movie is book ended by right post BVS scenes yes yes so and we know that based on the 
the camera footage, the surveillance footage that Lex had in his metahuman file that Gal Gadot was in Paris before at some point before traveling to Gotham because like the ATM camera, if you look mm-hmm. at the the information posted on it, she's in France when that ATM footage is taken. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that maybe she goes back there, you know, after the events of BVS. Because actually in the New 52, I think she has, or is that London? Either London or Paris, in the New 52, she actually has an apartment in one of those European capitals. So now actually, just going to listen to you talk through this here. Now that scene from Batman v Superman actually showed her, it looked like she was going up to an ATM. Now this vehicle actually looked like some type of armored vehicle, almost like a a truck that you'd like haul away money in. So I wonder, is this somehow tied together with that scene? I don't know because I never thought of Wayne Enterprises as in the banking industry. Right. Even though Wayne Enterprises seems to be involved in anything that the plot needs Wayne Enterprises to be involved in. Yeah. Let's be honest. Anyway, it's kind of interesting. I, so I wonder if this is all to kind of like directly a little bit more tie into that one scene. So well, we'll see. Yeah, It'll be we'll fun. See. It'll be fun to see. But we actually have some J.K. Simmons news. Now, he apparently has confirmed that he's got a multi-picture deal with Warner Brothers. Of course he does. Yes, of, of course. course. It's like, <laughs> in other news, water wet. Water wet, right. So how else are you going to like, you know, you're going to get this guy to be in one film and you're not going to sign him in for more. <laughs> so this is a guy that you want to lock down as much as you can. This is J.K. freaking Simmons. Yes, it is. Now, he actually kind of revealed, though, that his role in Justice League is actually going to be small. It's going to be quite small. I'm not surprised at that, actually. Yeah. Because I never thought Gordon would fit in well no. in a Justice League movie. No. no, this is just basically setting up for the Batman solo film. <laughs> That's basically what I, it is. I'm, 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 I'm okay with that, sir. I'm okay with that. Yep. Now, I, apparently, he's not going to get started on preparing for his role until June. Well, I mean, because he doesn't have that much to do, apparently. Yeah, he doesn't have that much to do. And, uh, but yeah, he said he's hopeful that he's going to be in maybe two, three or four more movies for him playing that role. Yeah. Well, he was also talking to uh, Stephen Colbert on The Late Show. Yeah. And, okay, I'm not a, I'm not a Stephen Colbert fan myself, but this was cute where he <laughs> was like, so how do you legally do that moving from the Marvel Universe to the DC Universe? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you need a, do you need a passport to travel between universes? Yeah. And I just love it. J.K. Simmons just rolls with it because he just kind of goes, I don't have it yet. The paperwork's in progress. <laughs> right. I started a couple of months, so I, you know, I hope things get sorted out by then. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, he's just such a nice guy. Like, he just, you know, Colbert throws out something like that and he just, <laughs> on his feet, can go with it. Well, and Colbert, I am a Colbert fan and what I love about him most is how he's so deadpan in everything he does. And so he was completely deadpan when he was doing this. <laughs> like, he was genuinely, like, asking a very serious question like how are you able to do this <laughs> and and then Colbert was asking about the differences between J. Jonah Jameson and Gordon which I think we had, we, we addressed this last right, week right but um, Simmons did say a, a couple of different things this time that uh, he said that he when he was playing JJ he tried to pull off the character as he appeared in the comic which the JK was comic relief on of a blowhard character so that's what he played and he played it to a T yeah so so he goes back to the fact of he hasn't started reading source material yet. So he has not decided on how he's going to play his Gordon. The only thing he has to go on right now is the other film betrayals he's seen. He's already stated that he's going to try to stay away from right. them, like the plague, and just delve into source material. Right. And then he'll figure out what his take is going to be. Well, J.K. Simmons was also on Late Night with Seth Meyers, and not a whole lot of talk there basically concerning his upcoming role in Justice League. But he did say, you know, when kind of asked by Seth Meyers, you know, everything's so secret here, you know, and uh, J.K. Simmons acknowledged that. And he says, yeah, it's it's everything's top secret. And I really don't know if I'm allowed to say anything. And he goes, but I think I'm playing Commissioner Gordon. So being very coy. (laughs) Now, a couple more quick bits of news here concerning Justice League. Now, the Kent farm is apparently being worked on. Now, this comes from Steve Eunice of Superman homepage. And I don't know. Have you ever looked at the Superman homepage, Scott? I did, actually. Complete tangent. But I, I was my mother. My mother actually went on there to find out that there's like some Batman v Superman Hallmark ornaments coming out in July that I <laughs> want. It's random. <laughs> it's random, but they're cool. It's yeah. a three piece set, and it was Superman homepage that was reporting it. So I mean, that is a detailed, detailed website. If you're a Superman fan, yeah, you will lose hours on this website. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I peruse this now and then, but there's so much stuff on there daily that I can't even keep up with it. Now, Steve Eunice is a huge, huge, huge Superman fan. And if you are a Superman fan and just want to 
want to get your fill. If you have not found this webpage, you need to check it out. But uh, he basically, you know, had reported something from one of his, um, the fans of his webpage, Jeff Frost, at, you know, who lives near Yorkville in Illinois, basically saying, yep, they've taken these boards off the windows and they're starting to get things a little bit fixed up and they've got security guards patrolling locations. So what location? The Kent Farm. Yeah, the Kent Farm. Did I not say that? I don't think you did. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're talking about the Kent Farm house, guys. We're talking about the <laughs> Kent did. Farm. Yes. So you had me, you had me all distracted about ornaments or something. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. That's right. So anyway, um, so it looks like we might get a little Kent Farm scene. And one last thing now, Superman, we're talking about Henry Cavill, posted something on his Facebook account showing him working out. And we know that filming is supposed to be going on real soon here, but Henry has a pretty good beard coming in. So the question is, are we going to be seeing something like basically what we saw in, you know, the return of Superman? Except for it would be a beard instead of a mullet. It's a beard instead of a mullet. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave the mullet in the 90s. Yeah, I'm it's, okay it's with a, that. definitely a nice exchange. But anyway, so the question was like, is he going to have a beard? And I go, that would actually be kind of cool because, you know, Henry's a good looking man. And when he's got his beard on, you know, he actually makes me feel even less of a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the Kent house is getting kind of spruced up yeah. and he's got a beard, I mean, he's buried in Smallville. Right. So I'm guessing that's going to have something to do with his return. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a probably a good idea of how that's going to play out. Yeah, but the one other thing I want to say before we leave this is I love Henry. I really do. The man's sweet. And I love the, the he posted the picture as a thank you to all the fans. And he was saying he joked about doing one million reps. And he yeah. was like, yeah, no, 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 no. I did not do one million reps. <laughs> yeah. But he said this. Thank you for the continuous support you have shown for the things that are dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Hashtag thank you. Hashtag Superman training. Hashtag Superman. Hashtag Justice League. Yeah. And I'm just like, He's just a sweet man. Yeah. He's just a genuinely sweet man. Yep. Good man, good man. Now, we have to talk about Aquaman. Yes. I just read an article telling me that James Wan is bailing out of Batman v Superman. Can you believe this guy? No, actually, <laughs> not, at, not at all. Okay. And one of our listeners, Rick, actually tweeted us while we were recording, because yeah. you mentioned it before we recorded, and yep. Rick was like, I'm concerned. Rick, we're here to save you. We're, don't we're be concerned, to, Rick. We're here to say, don't be concerned, Rick. It's okay. Now, okay, so we need to... Uh, we actually uh, we need to talk about this because I read this right before we started recording and I, I don't know why I did it but like we said before we do this for you guys so you don't have to <laughs> so I read this Devin Farachi Farachi we don't care we, we don't just care. know that he was so wrong about Suicide Squad yeah, we just know he is uh, very much anything you ever see from him and I'm not just saying this out of any other reason other than we've seen the pattern with Devin he's a clickbait guy especially when it comes to DC oh he he, he, he hates on DC he, he, he doesn't he's not a DC fan, which is fine, which is fine. But he definitely makes a sport out of just really just drumming up the clickbait articles about DC. And this one's no exception. So this kind of goes on the heels of the news we had today about Seth Graham Smith uh, leaving for creative differences on The Flash. Now, Devin puts out an article saying he's got all these multiple sources that are saying that, you know, he's hearing a James Wan is second guessing it. He doesn't know if he wants to be part of this. And he's kind of jumping on all these like little assumptions that people are making and saying that, yeah, he's hearing that James Wan is about ready to bail out. We've been hearing James Wan being very excited about the potential of Aquaman and wanting to, to do something really special with this character. And I, we would just say there's a pattern here with Devin. I'm sure he's got a great fan base, but don't listen to this guy. Don't get worked up because you can't sort out what is legitimate and what is just clickbait with him. And this is no exception. Remember the source that said that all the jokes were in the first trailer of Suicide? Yeah, that's, that's a very recent example. Yeah, that's a very recent example. Because James Wan was just quoted at CinemaCon, not, what, two weeks ago. Right. saying that he's close to wrapping Conjuring 2 so he can focus on Aquaman mm-hmm. and that it's very important for him to put his stamp on Aquaman and that if I can do that, he feels it'll be pretty damn awesome. Yeah. So basically, all we're trying to say is here is don't get worked up over these speculation articles. It was just Especially when people start inserting their opinion on this and, and there's so much opinion in this article. Basically, don't buy into it. Don't click on it and ignore just it. Just ignore it. Just ignore these kind of things. I mean, I think that's the best thing we can say, guys, is that when you see the headline, if you feel that urge to click on it, resist the urge. <laughs> right. Resist the urge because that's what they want. Yeah. They want you to click on it. They want you to share it. They want you to complain about it because that's just going to make more people click on it. Just stop. And let's remember, this is actually quite a repetitive pattern with Devin because remember when we had the awesome Suicide Squad trailer that dropped? What was it? A day later, we actually had uh, the big negative article? Yes. About how Suicide Squad was going to 
fail. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, of course, this one. This one comes after the news drop, and we get this little article from from him about this, saying, "Well, he's got all these sources that have been saying it. Well, why did this not come out earlier? <laughs> you know what I mean? You wait after the the actual news drops. Yeah. That Seth Graham Smith is leaving the Flash. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. then you're kind of stirring the pot here. So ignore, ignore, ignore. Now we do have uh, a little bit of news about Green Lantern Corps. Is it? No, it's not only news. Well, yeah. let's, let's 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 let's. I think we we <laughs> need, have you put together the sound drop that that our listeners. Suggested? I have not. Yeah. So like short of yeah. So news. You're right, Scott. So news is the wrong term here. This is highly rumored, highly rumored, but it's not inconsistent with some of the things that we've been hearing maybe the last six months or so here. But this comes from Heroic Insider. It's the show put out by Daniel Alter and Umberto Gonzalez from Heroic Hollywood. And uh, Gonzalez is basically bringing the news here that he's got multiple sources that George Miller is being rumored to direct the Green Lantern Corps movie. And uh, Umberto said this would be perfect for him, which I would actually agree because this is basically like uh, his opportunity to Justice League that he never got a chance to do back in, what was it, 98? 2008. 2008. 2008, right. That was when Justice League Mortal was being uh, in production. Right. So let's remember this. Now, okay, so we speculate that Green Lantern is going to come into play somewhere in the Justice League series of movies here. And Green Lantern Corps itself is actually four years away from uh, where we are today. And it's probably likely that whatever is going to happen in the Justice League, it's likely that whatever is going to happen in the Green Lantern Corps movie is probably going to involve Justice Leaguers as well. So this would give him his chance to kind of do his take on a Justice League movie. Well, I'm not sure. It's I almost don't want it to be like I want a Green Lantern Corps movie to be Green Lantern Corps. You know, I have to I have to be honest about that. And I'm trying to remember how many years after Justice League Part Two would Green Lantern Corps be coming out? I forgot what the date is on Green on Justice League Part Two. Oh, it's it's a year later. It's a year later. Okay. I mean, I don't. I would not. It would not beyond belief that it would be dealing with events after Justice League Part Two. But I kind of want Green Lantern Corps to be its own thing. Mm -hmm. I I like the idea of it just focusing on the core. But don't you want to see? And maybe we'll see. Actually, see this in Justice League. But I want to see the scene where Batman actually takes the ring off (laughs) Green Lantern, like we did in the New Fifty Two. Just like everyone. Yes, yes. That that would that. (laughs) I do want that scene. (laughs) I I agree with you there. But maybe not in a Green Lantern Corps movie. You know, like if Green Lantern shows up in Justice League Part Two, or you know, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. But I want the Green Lantern Corps movie to be about you know the core. That's just my personal opinion. I love I love me some Green Lantern Corps. So, but at any rate, I mean, because I mean, what do you think of? uh, You know, we're just speculating here. This is based on you know just a rumor here, but we're trying to think of the possibilities here. Now, do you think you could see him actually doing a movie that is very highly CG, which is going to be a Green Lantern Corps movie? Now, let's remember Fury Road. Extremely practical, very practical. Well, it was a lot of practical, but there was a lot of CG in it. It's a misnomer that there was no CG. There was a ton of CG in it. There there, there couldn't have been. I mean, have you seen the movie yet? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's, a a, there's a ton, but it's done. It's done very well. And the yes, best kind is. of CG in the world is a, is the kind of CG that you can't really notice it. That's what makes good CG. Well, and the, here's the thing about the Mad Max movies. Yeah, it's a post-apocalyptic movie that lo- feels like an alien world anyway. Right. It doesn't feel like Earth. So I, I do not see. And actually, that if George, if we're talking about that, then George Miller would do what I would want in a Green Lantern Corps movie, which is put it in space, put it on alien planets. I don't need a Green Lantern movie on Earth. Yeah. And if we go back to the Ryan Reynolds movie, that's my biggest complaint about the Ryan Reynolds movie is that there was too much time spent on Earth and I wanted more stuff on Oa and, you know, in other sectors. Yeah. One or the other. I mean, definitely not both. <laughs> I think that was the biggest problem with that film. Yes, was I they, agree. They, they couldn't decide if they wanted to be a space opera or if they wanted to be, you know, some uh, Earth-based hero. Like a generic superhero movie. So, yeah. Right, right. I think George Miller, because what else has he directed besides the Mad Max movies? <laughs> well, I mean, he did the original Mad Max, right? And then he did this right. one. He did Happy Feet. Okay. Yeah. Basically, the deal is he hasn't done like any movie like this in quite a while. Until he did Fury Road, he hadn't done a, a big movie like this beyond like the animated movie. Been a long, long time. Yeah. Well, all I'm going to say is that, you know, besides the Mad Max movies, I don't have any other experience with George Miller. Yeah. So I, you know, if, if I'm basing it just on the Mad Max movies, I think he can do an alien planet just fine. And that'd make me happy. Yeah. You know, what can I say? Now, uh, coming out of Heroic Insider uh, from Daniel and Umberto, we got another um, story, rumor, sources. Mm-hmm. And once again, Umberto has good sources, you mm-hmm. know, and Berto's one that when he says sources, they have they have panned out more times than they haven't. Well, let's be honest. They have. They have. Yeah. And what the story is, is that they started off by talking about how they felt like BVS had too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their biggest uh, 
piece of evidence was the cutting of the three hours on the two and a half. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they felt like that creative control was taken from Zack Snyder mm-hmm. was when the half an hour got chopped out. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much I agree with that, but yeah, I'm not I'm going to disagree boat. with it completely. But they said that when it comes to the Batman or whatever the solo Batman film is going to be, Jeff Johns and Ben Affleck are going to have, quote, complete creative control over the solo Batman film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, this is basically implying that who are the producers? Uh, we have Zach and Deborah Snyder and we got Chuck Roven and uh, I can't remember who else is on it, but basically whoever are the typical producers on the DCEU that that's implying that they're not going to really have any say in the film. Now, most directors are not going to get that kind of privilege, but this is probably one of the things, you know, that they're very much in the Ben Affleck business here and they very much want to keep him at Warner Brothers. And this may be the kind of thing where, you know, he was kind of able to go in and say that, you know, if I'm going to do this film, this is what I want. And they were probably like, you know what? We're not going to lose with this guy. So yes, you can have complete creative control. But, you know, Warner Brothers, however, has a history of doing this with what we've called in the past their family directors. Right. Clint Eastwood can go off and do whatever the heck he wants because they know he's going to turn in a movie under time and under budget. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Affleck has experience with Affleck's working on a relationship with Warner Brothers like Clint Eastwood has, Mm -hmm. where they don't hover over Affleck because they don't hover over Clint Eastwood Mm -hmm. because Clint Eastwood's going to do what he needs to do and get the job done. And I'm thinking Warner Brothers has enough of a track record with Ben Affleck that Affleck is on that track Mm -hmm. where this isn't, you know, it might be surprising because it's going to be a DC Universe movie and it's going to be a superhero movie. But if Affleck is on board to direct, then basically Affleck's rules as a director get to carry over no matter what it is he's directing. Right. Well, and so you were talking about how Warner Brothers kind of gives a lot of these like key directors, you know, creative freedom. Now, let's remember Chris Nolan. They give him tremendous freedom, especially most recently. And it shows because his films are incredible and they're very distinctly Nolan. Right. Same thing. uh, Well, we talked about Mad Max Fury Road. They gave George Miller complete control of that film. I mean, he went and shot for how long was he in the desert? I mean, it was just like a ridiculous amount of time and allowed him to do the film that he wanted to do. So and Ben Affleck is a guy that they're going to keep. They want to keep associated with that studio. So this is completely believable. Academy Award winning. Academy Award winning. He didn't win the Oscar, but his movie won the Oscar. Let's remember that. Yeah, right. Well, and then not only that, I mean, all the other films that he's done recently have just been really, really good. You know, the one that I have not seen that I want to see, I have not seen The Town. I need to see that. You have not seen The Town? I have not seen The Town because it has, when I wanted to see it, like when I was in the mood for it, it wasn't on like any free streaming service. Okay. So if it's on, if if Phil Lester out there knows if The Town's like on Amazon Prime or Netflix or something, (laughs) let me know because I need to see this movie. I love Bank Heist movies. No, it, that is a tremendous film. That is a tremendous film. Uh, it's it's when I see films like that that really makes me scratch my head when people sit there and get all worried about Ben Affleck. And and I said, you know, you have to see these films. You have to see these films and then you'd understand. Yeah, well, there's one last thing here that Gonzalo said that he, what he's hearing here is that Affleck is actually going to have control and that Johns, Jeff Johns is really more of a consultant and that he's really there to kind of help with the references to comic book lore and really not really guiding the story so much, but more so just kind of helping to make sure it doesn't really violate any of the important things with the lore. So anyway, I think this sounds completely plausible here. So I don't really hear anything in this that makes me think that, you know, we should take this with too much of a grain of salt. It's just a, it's rumor. It, you know, it is rumor. It's, it's rumor based on sources. But once again, Umberto is, you know, he, he's right more times than he's wrong. Yep. So. All right. So, Scott, I know you want to talk about this. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because, you know, it's not a bad day when I get to see this trailer <laughs> of The Killing Joke with yeah. flipping Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Yeah. Oh my God! Uh, do we do we need to play audio? I mean, this this is amazing. This is fantastic. <laughs> I love this trailer. I want this movie now. Yeah, I'm a little disturbed by the movie. I'll have to say that. <laughs> you know, when I saw this thing, uh, so we're talking about the Killing Joke. Uh, rev- finally, de- debuted their first trailer here. Kevin Conroy playing Batman, Mark Hamill playing Joker, and just the images. When I saw this, I was like, my jaw was dropping because you know the the animation isn't like isn't. It, it doesn't knock your socks off, but what knocked my socks off was I was seeing images that come straight from the graphic novel. Yes. And like literally ripped right from it. You saw Brian Ballin's work there, the artist uh, from Killing Joke. You actually saw, probably saw like three or four scenes that were completely ripped from the book. Yeah. Now, did you ever watch that little 12-minute featurette about the making of Killing Joke? No, I never did. Yeah, that was the one that was leaked. Well, they leaked and then they officially released it and all that. Uh, but you know, they talked about how they really couldn't adapt. 
Brian Boland's art style because it was just too intricate. Mm -hmm. And so they had to like strip it down to mm -hmm. another, like they had to find another artist. And then I think it was like Kevin something. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad podcaster. I can't remember his name. And then they even had to strip that down to make it animate animatable. So, I mean, it's, but still you're right. This, while the style isn't Brian Boland's, the scenes are like snap a picture and I can do a frame. I can do a panel by frame comparison of the two. Yeah. So basically you guys just need to go, go to YouTube, find it and watch it. That's all we can really say is you just need to see this trailer, especially if you're a fan of the original graphic novel. I'm just kind of, I just, I'm just waiting to see how this plays out as a rated R animated movie. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be real interesting here. I, I cannot wait to see what the sales are in this. Yes. And I think as we discussed with Brent on, on an episode, the marketing too. Uh -huh. What's that going to be like? Even though the trailer does show you what the cover art for the uh, for the Blu-ray case is going to be. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's the it's the camera. Yeah. It, it had to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad they went with it. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, well, I think we need to go ahead and end this episode here. So Scott, man, this has been actually a lot more filled here than I looked like it was going to be about five hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> some of the True. recent news that we just got. But uh, we want to thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show as usual. Yeah, so Scott, tell us where people can find us at. Well, of course, you can always contact the show at Suicide Squadcast on Twitter, or you can reach me individually at ScottDC27. Uh, Tim, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Alan Fire. And you can also reach us via email at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. And we answer all tweets and emails. So we would love to hear from you guys. Scott, we got two iTunes reviews this past week. Yes, we did. Uh, the first one was excellent by Glass Prison 484. Glass Prison 484 writes, this is a great optimistically minded podcast and one of the few I can't wait to hear each week. I've grown weary of the many popular, though cynical and kind of cruel DC centric podcasts. I'm a fan of the genre and like hearing from a couple of guys who love the stuff as much as I do. Cheers. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, because once again, you're, you're you're speaking to us. This is the exact reason we started this show. Yep. So thank you so much, and we're glad you're enjoying listening. Yep, thank you. And then the second one came from Batmobile824, and Batmobile824 says, awesome podcast. And uh, he or she says, hey, dudes, I love your podcast. You do an amazing job talking about all the DCEU news and movie trailers. I'm a big fan of DC On Screen podcasts. Dave and Jason are great. We'd agree. They mentioned your podcast, and I'm glad that they did, because you guys sound so passionate about the DCEU, and we as fans need people like you. Thanks for taking the time to do this podcast. I am a father of a three-year-old and I know how hard it is to find time. Keep it up and I can't wait to listen to more episodes. All right. Dads of the world unite. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So thank you very much, Batmobile824. So now we are now four away from our next giveaway. And those of you who left these five-star written reviews, you have a one in 10 chance of winning. And we will give away to the winner a DC trade paperback worth up to $15. All right. So that is it. We're going to go ahead and close this out. So Scott, what do you got planned up this week? Um, trying to survive the last three and a half weeks of school. <laughs> I, I bought myself a box of beer. Hashtag, is it summer yet? I am ready for it, my, my good sir. I am ready for it. I'm going to be joining with you and having a couple of beers here coming up. So well, let's go ahead and end the show, guys. We will see you next week. See you guys later. Come a, come a down, do be do down, down. Come a, come a down, do be do down, down. Breaking up is hard to Hey Scott, man, um, thanks for coming in. I really need to talk to you about this now. I know we signed you on to be the co-host of the show, but you know, quite honestly, I don't really like the direction you're wanting to take the show. And really the other thing too is like, you've actually never really even been a podcaster. And you know, I feel like we need to kind of like break this thing apart basically over creative differences. Um, never been a podcaster. I, I've, I've been on shows before. You've never been a podcaster. <laughs> okay. Don't be throwing facts my way.